0: So Mark 10, 46 to 52, uh, my sermon title is uh, What Faith Is and What Faith Does, and that's going to be what we're looking at out of this um, very interesting story uh, with respect to blind Bartimaeus and what Jesus does for him. So um, let's, let's pray, and then I'll read the scripture, and then we'll begin. Father, thank you for this time in which we have to come to your word. Um, Help us to delight in the gospel stories about your son. Help us to find uh, the truth. Give us the truth, Lord, by your Holy Spirit that we need. Help us to to discover more of the riches of Jesus, more of the uh, wonder of what it is to have faith in him. Uh, Help us to understand more of what it means to follow Jesus in this life, in this world. Help us also to recognize many do not know Christ. So many do not know Christ. So give us a heart of compassion toward them and a deep desire that all might know you through your son Jesus. So bless us in these ways, we would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Scripture, Mark chapter 10 beginning at verse 46. And they, meaning Jesus and his disciples, came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart. Get up. He's calling you. What a reversal there, right? And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now, When I read this story, and especially the phrase, your faith has made you well, um, I I can't help but remembering a very sad and tragic story that was told to me uh, more than 30 years ago now. Um, I was pastoring in New Mexico, and uh, one of the godly uh, grandmothers within the church had uh, full custodial care of her three nieces. She had had them since her younger sister had died when the girls were 8, and 10, and 12. And now they were just a few years older. And so um, I was having a conversation with Grandma Black, that was what we called her, and she was telling me about her nieces. And she said, uh, "My, my sister died and, uh, Pastor, I, I, want to, I want to tell you about what they struggle with. At the funeral, um, led by the pastor of the church that they attended, the pastor, during the service, addressed the young girls this way, who were 8 and 10 and 12. Faith enables you to do all things. And if your faith is great enough, even today, this casket will open. Your mother will rise from the dead and be returned to you. Because faith can do all things. I hope you can see the sadness and tragicness of what happened to those girls that day. Believing that their mother was dead and remained dead because they did not have the faith to see her raised from the dead. On on so many levels, this is not just a tragic and sad story. On so many levels, this is a story about great evil that was perpetrated upon these girls. In the name of Christ, and in the name of faith, What we see here is an exhibition of some of the worst kinds of religious abuse ever perpetrated on other human beings. Coming out of one of the deepest, tragic, and evil misunderstandings of the nature of Christian faith, the nature of biblical faith. Now that's the issue that I want us to look at this morning. I want us to to look into the words of Jesus about faith as we find them in this passage. The, The very words in this passage are the words which have been twisted and misused by those who promote this defective understanding which these poor young girls were subject to on that particular day. That's why the story of blind Bartimaeus on so many different levels, is so significant and so important. Because it shows us what faith is and it shows us what faith does. It shows us that biblical faith, its true biblical meaning, is what properly connects us to God, to Jesus Christ, His Son, to everlasting life. Really, it's going to tell us That biblical faith, true faith, rests and depends and trusts for all of its power, for all of its effectiveness in God, from God, upon God revealed in Christ. Not in any measure upon ourselves. That's what I want us to see this morning. What faith is. What faith does. What makes faith work? Now, this first question, uh, you know, what faith is, is essential to the story because in verse 52, Jesus says to Bartimaeus, your faith has made you well. Now, that's a remarkable statement uh, that his faith had made him well. Uh, This this phrase has had an enormous influence in how many people uh, in our day and age, going back decades and decades in American Christianity, and this particular viewpoint exported throughout the entire world, it's, it's had an enormous influence on how many, many people conceive of biblical faith, the nature of faith. Yet, the phrase itself is never stated by the Apostle Paul in the rest of the New Testament. This statement itself is never found in the extensive Gospel of John, which talks about faith more than any of the other Gospels. This statement is only found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And number of those times, it's in a parallel passage. So when you boil it all down... Here is where we find this phrase, right here, and in the parallel passage in Luke 18:42. We find it earlier in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 5, verse 34, where Jesus says to the woman who was hemorrhaging for so many years, she touched the hem of his garment, and he says to her daughter, your faith has made you well. And we find it one other time in the Gospel of Luke. Remember the ten lepers who came to Jesus and Jesus sends them on his way. One turns around and comes back. He was a Samaritan. And what Jesus says to the Samaritan is this. "Um, Your faith has made you well. Those are the only times that phrase occurs in the Gospels. There's a similar phrase in Luke chapter 7 where the uh, sinful woman comes to Jesus and she um, bathes his feet With her tears, she anoints his feet with oil. And then, in that whole story, Jesus pronounces her sins basically forgiven. Well, he says, where much love is shown, much much sin has been forgiven. But this is what he says to her, rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you, go in peace. Your faith has saved you, go in peace. So the words are not common. Just, they just occur on a very, very few occasions. And yet they have been used to motivate a whole theology and teaching about faith, which has perverted the message of the gospel and has given the Christian faith a very terrible reputation among nonbelievers. So we need to understand first what faith is not. Now, um, though it's not essential to our understanding of this passage, let me just mention the secular view of what faith happens to be. Because you hear this a lot. You hear this all the time. Um, In fact, I went online and was looking at several uh, online dictionaries. What's their definition of faith? It's believing something in spite of having no evidence at all or against all the evidence that exists. Uh, Merriam-Webster online has a definition that's so very similar to this. Richard Dawkins, the notable atheist, has made this point. Uh, Many, many make this point that, look, uh, the kind of faith that Christians and other religious groups believe in is essentially believing stuff for which you don't have any proof, you don't have any evidence, you don't have any good reason at all for believing it, you just believe it. Now, I came across that perspective, that secular perspective, years ago, my last year of undergraduate studies. Um, I was visiting a philosophy professor in his office hours, and uh, in the course of the conversation, he asked me uh, why I was going into, what I was going to do after college. I said, I'm going to go into the ministry. I might possibly become a missionary. He said, why? Are your parents missionaries? And I said, no, I I plan to do something that I think God wants me to do because I'm a Christian. And that's how I want to serve God. And he says, uh, well, why are you a Christian? And I said, uh, because I believe Jesus rose from the dead. He says, why do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And I said, well, because I think there's very good evidence for it. And he said, do you mean evidence like Caesar crossed the Rubicon? And I said, yes, historical evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. And he said, but haven't you read David Hume on miracles? The great skeptic who tried to disprove that miracles could ever happen. And and when I left his office, I was inside, I was rejoicing and laughing. But what hit me was, here is a philosophy professor, a PhD, a man of quite eminent learning, teaching at UCLA, and he had no acquaintance with the fact that historic biblical Christianity has always claimed that its faith is grounded in evidence. Always. That their historical, philosophical, rational reasons and warrants for what we believe and why we believe it. So, he just thought that religious faith was things you believed without any evidence at all. He thought I was a Christian because I got genetic DNA Christianity from my parents or something. So, contrary to the whole secular perspective, faith is not believing without evidence. Look at blind Barnabas. He comes to Jesus based on lots of reasons. Verse 47, if you read that, you see he recognizes the name of Jesus because of the great fame of Jesus, and he calls Jesus by the Messianic title, Son of David. Blind Bartimaeus has lots of reasons for his faith. Solid historical reasons based upon testimony of people who were eyewitnesses to what Jesus had done. He has tremendously strong reasons for believing Jesus can do what he wants Jesus to do. Now, but more to the concern this morning, connected to the first story that I told you, there's another view of faith. Sadly, it calls itself a Christian view of faith. It has had tremendous influence beyond its sort of official boundaries, it's had tremendous influence. And it finds its basis in the phrase, your faith has made you well. The truth is, this viewpoint is a heresy. It's heretical. It is false. And it is a false witness about God. It's a false witness about what the Bible means. It's a false perspective entirely. It's the view that faith in and of itself, is like a power that can make things happen. Now that's what I was talking about in the story that I began the message with. That pastor believed that faith was a power that these children could exercise and by that power, they could see their mother raised from the dead. The idea is that if your faith is strong enough, if you believe something badly enough, if you believe it sincerely enough, if you just have given yourself over total, completely, that God's going to respond. And God's going to do what you ask. You see, the, the basic line of thought here is that God and faith are connected this way, that whatever you claim in the name of faith, if you believe it strongly enough, whatever you claim in the name of faith, if your faith is strong enough, then God must give you what you want. Faith is that kind of power. Now, this idea of faith, that if we believe something strongly enough that it's going to happen, has its roots and its source in the world of paganism and in the world of the occult. We actually see a graphic example of this kind of faith during the time of Elijah. Now, I I hope you know the story of Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal. It's in first Kings uh, chapter eighteen. Up on the mountain, Mount Carmel, there is a kind of spiritual duel that goes on. The four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal have been challenged by Elijah to call down fire from heaven to consume animal sacrifices. Now, these 450 prophets believed that the power to make things happen was found in how strongly they would believe what they wanted to see take place. That is at the heart of all pagan thought. That the human mind, the human attitude the human desire, the human ability to positively think about things will actually influence and shape reality. That if you want something bad enough, you can actually think and cause it to happen. Some 25, 30 years ago, there was a book put out by Napoleon, somebody called Think and Grow Rich. Back in the early 50s, we had... Uh, The book, The Power of Positive Thinking. Uh, In the 80s, the positive mental attitude movement began. All of these had sort of a a Christian vocabulary attached to them. And many Christians began to believe that if I can just visualize it, if I can just see it in my mind, if I can just imagine it and think about it and desire it strongly enough, it's going to happen. This is exactly what was going on on Mount Carmel, 450 prophets. So Elijah lets them go first. And so they began early in the day, and part of this sincerity and the, and the depth of their belief that, that they were going to get fire from heaven involved what they would do bodily. So they began to dance, and they began to cry out to Baal, and they began to dance and cry out to Baal. And when that didn't get them what they want, they wanted to show that they were even more sincere. So they began to take their sharp knives and they began to cut themselves. And so they would dance and cry out to Baal and the blood would flow and the blood would flow all day. Nothing happened at all. And then, of course, you know the story. When they finish, Elijah takes buckets and buckets and buckets and buckets and buckets and barrels of water and drenches his sacrifice and just simply prays for God to do it, fire comes down from heaven. It's gone. The pagan notion of faith is that if you believe it strongly enough, God is bound to do it. That you control the Almighty by the power of your faith. If your faith is weak, God does little. But if your faith is strong, God will do whatever you ask. I've always wondered why the pastor at that funeral service didn't recognize that an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old would have small faith, but he's their pastor. He needed to have ginormous faith. Why didn't he raise her from the dead? Do you see the intensely deep contradiction and the ability to abuse people with that attitude and understanding of faith? You're sick? You obviously don't have much faith. You're without a job? You obviously don't have much faith. Things aren't going well in your marriage? You obviously don't have enough faith. Those are the things that happen when we believe that faith is some kind of power which we possess within ourselves. So what happens in that movement, the word of faith movement is the one in which this doctrine is so crystallized, is instead of those folks following that movement bleeding their veins, they bleed their wallets. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Uh, they, they take this idea that if I just give to God sacrificially and show Him how sincerely I believe in Him, that God will return my spiritual investment tenfold and He has to. Because I'm so believing Him that I will empty out my bank account today and give it to the ministry. I'll invest in God and God's gonna take that three thousand, four thousand dollars and bless it tenfold. It, it really helps those pastors fly in Lear jets, but it devastates the people who believe this kind of stuff. This is the problem. The idea that God has somehow bound himself to the size of your faith, and God will do great things if your faith is great, because he's bound to do so. Now, all this idea, it comes out of these few words. Your faith has made you Well, those words, not taken into context with everything else that the Bible says about faith, everything else that the Bible says about prayer. It twists these ideas and, and, and grabs hold of this, this awful pagan idea that if we have enough of this thing called faith, we can get God to do whatever we desire. Now, that's what faith isn't. But what is faith? So it's not some power, it's not some positive mental attitude, it's not something that you have inside of yourself that can command the Almighty. At at the heart of the word faith, as we find it in our English Bibles, going back to the Greek, is centrally the idea of belief and believing. The essence of faith, biblically, is that of believing and trusting that something is true. Biblically, faith is believing and trusting that something is true with great conviction. Hebrews 11.1 Now, faith is the assurance, which is also the conviction of things hoped for, than the conviction of things which aren't yet seen. We see this with blind Bartimaeus. He was believing the fame of Jesus, all of the reports, all of the historical testimony about blind Bartimaeus. He was believing all of that. He had convictions about all of that. And all of his beliefs and convictions were thoroughly justified. He was p- totally convinced. That's why he persisted in seeking the attention of Jesus even when others were saying for him to be quiet. You can also see how the faith of blind Bartimaeus illustrates hebrews 11 verse 6 for whoever would draw near to god must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him blind bartimaeus believed not just in the existence of jesus but in the truth about jesus all that he had heard he believed in the fame of jesus he believed that Jesus would richly reward him if he diligently sought him. Faith is believing and trusting with the deepest sense of conviction. Now the question is, what does faith do? What does faith do? Now, we can look at Bartimaeus' own actions to see it illustrated in a number of ways. What true believing and true trusting actually looks like first verse 47 real faith acts out of humility Uh, think about that it doesn't act out of presumption it acts out of humility Uh, Bartimaeus calls upon Jesus to have mercy upon him there's no sense of entitlement no sense of binding God or binding Jesus to what he wants He's seeking mercy. He's seeking for Jesus to do what Jesus doesn't really have to do. Because Jesus doesn't really owe blind Bartimaeus the recovery of his sight. Bartimaeus isn't coming saying, I know this is your job, Jesus. God sent you in the world to heal everyone who asks of you. No, he doesn't see it that way. He doesn't see it that way at all. It's, it's an act of humility in coming before Christ. We also see that real faith is persistent against obstacles. In verse 48, notice that the crowds are annoyed with blind Bartimaeus calling out for Christ. They're, they're rebuking him. And they're telling him, basically, the words are nicer than this, but they're telling him to shut up. But he wouldn't. He persisted in calling to Christ, his faith moved him to persevere, to keep asking. That's the second characteristic, then, of true faith. It, it persists. Thirdly, real faith does get, real faith is rewarded. It does get its reward. Verse 49, Jesus stops and calls the man to him. But what's most significant here? What does Bartimaeus ultimately want. Real faith gives to Jesus our burdens which crush life. Blindness in the ancient world, blindness at any time in history, has been one of the most terrible burdens for anyone to bear. So, in verse 51, we see blind Bartimaeus, giving to Jesus his burden. This is what I want you to do, Rabbi. Let me recover my sight. Real faith. Real faith is really believing and trusting in Jesus. It's about giving to Jesus the deepest burdens that we ever have in our lives. It's fully trusting and believing that Jesus is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. It's trusting and believing that Jesus is able to cause all things to work together for our good. It's trusting not only that He's able, it's trusting that He knows the right way and the right time and the right means to bring about that good in our lives. This then leads to our final question. What makes faith work? We come to verse 52 again and we read this. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way now we look at this verse we look at what jesus said so here's the question what part did jesus play was jesus even needed was the power to be healed to be found in the faith Or was the faith in the power of Jesus to heal? All the difference in the world. If you think the power was in the faith, then you don't know Christ. You hold to a pagan understanding that faith is a power that you can wield to bind God. If you understand that the passage here is speaking about the faith that Bartimaeus had in Jesus, then you have a biblical understanding. You see, what drew Bartimaeus? He didn't think he was going to go to Jesus to find some psychic guru who would say to him, I can help you see the divine power inside of yourself. I can teach you how to tap into something inside of yourself that is going to enable you to achieve all of your goals and desires in life. No. He came to Christ because Christ was one who could heal. His faith was never in Himself. His faith was in Christ. And that is incredibly good news to all of you. Because the Christian life can be a deep and significant and godly life. Even if your faith is only the size of a mustard seed. Because remember, Jesus said, even faith the size of a mustard seed would in fact be sufficient for your salvation and for your life in Christ. Why? Because it's not the size of your faith. It's the size of your Savior. It's not how much positive thinking you have toward God. It's rather, do you sincerely trust and believe all that God has said concerning His Son, Jesus? You see, if faith were some kind of personal power, you really wouldn't need Jesus at all. But all of the power of faith comes from Christ. It's found in Christ. And blind Bartimaeus was believing and trusting with full conviction that Jesus could and would heal him. There wasn't some kind of power in Bartimaeus. His faith was believing and trusting in Christ. That's what makes faith work. It's not in you, except insofar that you truly trust Jesus. You see, in Christ, to be the fullness, the power of all that you need it's trusting Jesus that he cares that he knows that he will undertake to carry us in all of those life crushing burdens which we experience everything that threatens to overwhelm us if you have trusted Jesus for your everlasting life If you've trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then how can you not also trust Him for all of the other things that take place in this life? For the Father Himself has delivered up His own Son for us all. How will He not, also along with Jesus, freely give us all the things which we need? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this biblical story, in this true account of blind Bartimaeus, this day in his life, he found that his faith in Jesus was fully justified. His great burden given to Christ. Christ met His great burden, restored His sight. Lord, help us, help us to ever and evermore lean everything upon Jesus, to trust Him, to believe Him, to cast all of our burdens upon Him, Because He cares for us. Because He will sustain us. Because He will strengthen us. Help us to grow in such ways that we would know, like the Apostle Paul, that we can do all things through Jesus who gives us strength. That even when we have nothing in ourselves, Jesus would say, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in your weakness. So even this day, Lord, be mindful. Most of us have very, very tiny faith. We're weak. Help us even today to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. He's all-sufficient. He's He's the great son from heaven. He's the redeemer lifted high upon the cross. He's the one who's given his life for us. Help us then today to look to Jesus and be healed in so many ways. In his name, amen.